0: It is my privilege to stand before you today, I I was talking to some people who were visiting for the first time today and I said, be careful, it's only my third time here and they've already got me in the pulpit, so watch out. But I am thankful Tim and Sarah, of course, are in in England and and it's my privilege to preach in Tim's place while he's gone And, and before we get into the text, I just want to briefly thank you again for the welcome that you've already given to my family and to me. Stephanie and I have felt the welcome and the love of this church already. Many have checked on us and seen how we're doing, especially as I have been, I spent much of this week preaching in Hattiesburg. I'm going to be in Memphis this coming week. Um, this, we're here, but we're not here. And so I appreciate you checking on, our, on my family in the meantime. It is my privilege, and they're going to hate that I'm about to do this, but I do have three of my four kids here, along with a, one of their very dear, dear friends, who's becoming like a daughter to us um three i won't i won't don't worry i'm not gonna make you stand or something like that they're they're giving me the eye up here but um i have my daughter katherine my son jacob my son david and then there's angela they're good friends and uh two three of these go to mississippi college Catherine is at covenant college along with my third son caleb who couldn't be here this weekend but may be watching online i hope so so if so caleb hi but um but thank you again for your friendship and your prayers, and even the way this church is already investing in and partnering with us as we come to plant and start a church in Ocean Springs. We look forward, Lord willing, to a long and fruitful friendship with this church. And, and we're filled with joy as we see His kingdom already coming, and, and this church being a part of that as we are called together to reach the lost. In light of that, I want to ask you to turn this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 15. We're going to be reading verses 1-24. to This is a series of parables that Jesus tells coming into the end of His ministry. The cross is not far away. And, And I want you to feel that urgency as we read this. Jesus is is trying to make clear some things that his disciples have to know before the end. Things that they need to know beforehand about why he's going to do what he's about to do. And so he's he's teaching in a way that comes in, in simple truths about lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And as we read, let me ask you this question. What is God's heart? How does he seek the lost? How does he seek you and me? Look with me for the answer. In Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 24. Follow with me, for this is the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are like this. Father, thank you that when others accuse you, that that you come and say, this is my heart. Lord, for many of us here, we've heard this text. It's been in in Sunday school. It's been in VBS. It's been in VeggieTales. We've heard it so many times. Lord, startle us again at your heart. And Lord Jesus, would you come? I ask that you would superintend over this time. Take control. Absolutely remove this messenger. Anything that I would say in error or that would be about me or anything like that, Lord, just protect these people from that. And Lord, may your love and your grace and your gospel shine clearly from your holy and errant text. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Stephanie and I are excited about coming and starting our ministry here that will be in Ocean Springs, but I gotta tell you, you've been very generous in, in allowing us to move into the manse next door. That may have been a mistake because now we're looking and going, hey, beachfront property. Not bad. Not bad. And and we're enjoying the walks and we were down with the kids yesterday evening and it's great being down by the coast. We used to, of course, we're moving directly from Birmingham. But before that, we lived for pretty much the opposite of the beach. We lived for 12 years in the heart of the Smoky Mountains. I mean, literally, my office looked into the park. And we could leave our house and we could, in 15 minutes, we could be in a campground in the Smoky Mount- Great Smoky Mountains National Park. In 15 minutes, we were right there. It was wonderful wonderful place to raise kids and to have them hiking and camping and all that kind of thing. Cades Cove was their weekend playground for those of you who've been there on vacations and things like that. The thing about living either at the beach or at the mountains, you're living at a place where people love to take vacations. And so when you live at those places, you better get ready for visitors. And so it was while we were living in the mountains and a friend of mine had come with his family and wanted me to show him around the park and, and so I took him to my favorite waterfall in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. A waterfall that is not on any marked map, sort of a secret waterfall. If you ask me where it is, I will not tell you. It, it is a beautiful, beautiful three-level waterfall that is sort of hidden in the park and away from tourists and all that. And I took my friend there, him and his children. And, and we, we hiked there, we're watching this waterfall And and as he and I were standing there, his kids, of course, wanted to go play in the falls. And so he told them, he said, Look, here's this sort of beach area with with little pebbles and sand and all. You can play there. He said, But stay off of the big rocks. They're slippery. You'll fall. You'll get hurt. So you know immediately what his son did started playing in the mud and the rocks and all that, but those rocks were calling drawing to him. So while we were talking and sort of not paying attention for a second, he immediately started working his way around to the rocks that were cool and they had moss on them and salamanders and all these things that little boys like, but sure enough, they were slippery. And so in just a few minutes, while my friend and I were standing and sort of looking the other way, the boy slipped and fell, gashed his leg on a rock fell down into the dirt, and of course immediately cried out for his father. And I was standing there, I was watching my friend, as he turned and saw what had happened. And and immediately I saw that look in his face, that that flash of a father's righteous anger, anger, red with anger at the disobedience that his son would put himself at a place of his own hurt, so, so angry that he disobeyed. So, but at the same time, I saw in his face the concern and the love and the, and the desire to, to run to his son as quickly as he could and to try to help, help him and to, and to heal him and to comfort him. And any parent here understands both of those feelings. As opposite as as they may seem, they're actually products of a father's love for his son. You you can't be a good father, a good parent, if you don't in some ways express both aspects of that love. Being, Being a father means reaching out to restrain, to warn, but also to help. And when my friend reached his son in about half second flat, I saw him do a godly thing. He got down in the the mud and the muck where his son was, was lying and hurting and he picked up his son and he got mud and blood on himself and then immediately started running to get help. My friends, I have good news to share with you this morning. Your God does the exact same thing. He runs to where you are. He runs to where you have been. And He offers His own Son in mud and filth and and this world's brokenness in order to cover His own Son with blood to rescue you. This morning I would that you would see with me the love of God that is so clearly in this text. As he runs to you. And in looking at that God and at that Savior, I, I want to see how, how this text points us to one of the, the way to, to one of the most difficult issues that we face as believers. How we, as believers, we as a church and church leaders, or we as church members, just as believers in this culture, how we're to be warning people of the danger and the reality of sin. Yet we are also to be incredibly loving and compassionate and rescuing of those who fall. Understand with me, here on Easter Sunday, here in the South, where everybody's in church and all that, there are people who with with good cause, because when they hear that we reject their sin, they're afraid that we will reject them as sinners if the truth is ever known. And so they don't come to us. They don't share with us. They they don't feel safe with us. They don't don't come even to this place where they can hear the Gospel. They don't come for healing. To to hold both aspects out, the warning of sin and the rescuing of sinners, it's so difficult to do both at the same time. Especially in in this culture where any, any no... And he know that's wrong is seen as coming from the point of hate and not love. It's the very issue that Jesus is dealing with as we come to this chapter. Verse 2 shows what he's struggling with. The, The religious people gather around and they point and they say, Look, this man welcomes sinners. You hear what they're saying there? this man who claims to be from God, he is soft on sin. And so, seeking to show his view of sin, he begins to instruct his disciples, we we as his disciples, that we must condemn sin. Standing before us are all sorts of people, churched and unchurched. The self-righteous, the absolute, not trying to be righteous at all. And those who are hating themselves, those who are hardened, and those who are hurting, what what does Jesus say that, that lets us know that he does condemn sin, but also that he receives sinners? First, he begins to warn and to show how sin operates. Think of the three Separate parables that, that and how they line up and, and how they show how sin shows up in the lives of different people. First, there's the sheep. The sheep that just wanders away. There's no intent. There's no plan. The sheep just begins to go from one clump of grass to the other, to the other, until ultimately he leaves the safety of the shepherd. Although he was once in the very bosom of the shepherd, now he is gone and he is lost. And we know what he's talking about. We all know people who who once seemed so close to the Lord. So so feeding on his fellowship, and now just through one gradual thing after another, now they're gone. And, And we know those people. Maybe we are those people. Somehow, really without ever meaning to, we just wandered so that we're not as close to the Savior as we used to be. And then there's the parable of the lost coin. Now it's not a sheep that has wandered away, but somebody else lost it. Think with me for a moment of the innocent ones who were hurt by sin. Perhaps it's a child raised in a non-Christian household where lost people led them astray. Perhaps it's a child raised in a hypocritical, angry Christian household. And in response to to what they saw representing God, they are now running away from that and lost. Maybe it's negligence. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's parents who should have been nurturing, but who got too caught up in their careers of their own lives or the struggles of their marriage. Maybe it's a child, uh, again, of a, of a legalistic background where the, where the gospel always seemed to come with anger and condemnation. Maybe it's a seeker in a liberal church where the gospel is just not preached at all. They want to know the Lord and they search and they search, but then they finally stop searching because the Gospel is not there and they've been lost. And then finally, there's the Son. The Son doesn't wander away. He's not lost by another. His sin is open, willful, deliberate rebellion. He turns in anger against his father. He turns in anger against his God and abandons both. Understand in the, in, the ver- in the text here where it says that he goes to his father and says, hey, give me what's coming to me. Give me my share of the inheritance. What's he saying to his father literally? I wish you would hurry up and die. And since you won't, give me my share. And and once again, we know those people. Maybe we are those people. Maybe maybe others don't even know about it. Maybe it's just in our hearts, but we know. We know the rebellion. We know the anger. We know the cause. We are, as we'll sing later in the service, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That hymn that we're going to sing by Robert Robinson is one of my favorites. Come thou fount of every blessing. You need to know that That man wrote those lyrics, prone to wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He wrote that hymn and then left the faith. He wrote that beautiful hymn that we're going to sing and then left that faith for many years until one day years later he was riding in a stagecoach where a woman was humming and singing the very hymn that he wrote And he said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy those words again. It may be true of you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And in all of this teaching, Jesus is saying that that we must see how sin operates. Look at its nature. It destroys lives. It hurts the innocent. It causes rebellion. It splits families. But more than just showing how sin operates, Jesus is showing what what sin causes. He tells of of a young man of privilege and of wealth with all the love of a family around him and a man who leaves by his own choice with great disregard for those who have loved him so well. And then, again, having taken that inheritance, having taken part of his father's estate, he goes and he spends it on wild living. He takes what his father worked for his entire life and blows it in two weeks in the French Quarter. And and, and, and then, and then be, having lost everything, and with a famine now hitting, and he's starving, and so he literally, he becomes, he hires himself out as a slave. The word there is the same, as a slave. And, to, and is starving to the point that he finds himself salivating at the slop of pigs. And Jesus says that's what sin does. The effect of sin is so horrible, it destroys lives. And Christ here is telling us that. He's, he's telling us His view of sin. He's warning us because He loves us. And if He says it, then, then we who follow in His footsteps, we must follow His lead here as well. We must be willing as Christians today to call sin, sin. I know we live in a culture that says we've got to redefine everything, but we've got to be willing to stand and display its horror and even to condemn sin with white hot, holy anger. Anger not at the sin, at sinner, but anger at what the sin does to people and what it does to the glory of God. We have to be willing to say, it is sin. And that sounds so simple. Until you have to do it with somebody whom you love family member, a dear friend, a peer at school, somebody whom you love who is sinning. When you find yourself there, it's one of the hardest things you will ever have to do. To really be so involved with someone's life, to have sat with them so much and listened to them so much and learned their story so much, to have shown them both love and truth so that now you can speak and it will lead to pain and sleepless nights. I've been a pastor for over 20 years now and, and I've got to tell you, it's been some of the hardest parts that I've had to walk through in my ministry to come alongside or to seek either in the church or or around my town, or walking into places that I did not want to go, but I knew someone was there and I had to go to them and I had to sit with them and I had to say, don't do this. It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your family. Your children will hate you for this. Don't go. And you will have to do it too. If you really love people, you will have to warn them of sin that will harm them Now and in the life to come. God here gives us the example in ways that we cannot mistake the message. He says, You must not flinch from what is difficult. You are to be in a battle of for souls. And you won't win that battle with one hand tied behind your back, just just trying to just love everybody and just pretend that they're not in sin. We must speak and we must be bold. But as much as we are to be condemning sin, we must also extend the hand of compassion to sinners. God gave us that example in ways that we must not mistake the message as well. On Good Friday, two days ago, it's what we celebrated that, Jesus, that God could, could point to his son on the cross, and at the very same time, he could say, That is what I think of sin. And even as he pointed, he could say, and this is what I think of sinners. I love them enough even to do that. It's the message that we see in verse 5 of this text. Where it says, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. The shepherd carries the sheep home. The sheep has wandered away. But the shepherd takes the burden onto his own back. It is the core message of the Gospel that what, re- what God requires of us to come home to Himself that He takes upon Himself. We could not be righteous. We could not be holy. No matter how much we dress up as Easter no, at Easter, no matter how much we pretend that everything's okay, the burden of our sin came upon us And he requires us to be holy. And we fail. And we cry out in in anger or despair. "I, I can't do it. And so God himself says, then my child, I will take it. And I will put it upon my own back. And he does that when he put his own son on the cross at Calvary. See it. You who are my new friends here, some who I just met this morning, see it. That is is the message of joy and uh, the message of of wonder and the message of hope in the gospel that our burden is now taken. So come and see it. See how God himself responds to sin and to sinners. Look at verse 20 in the text. This is as the prodigal is coming back. He's he's coming home. And and in verse 20 it says, And he arose and came to his father. Notice it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the key verse of this whole chapter. He was still a long way off and his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Let me ask you, how do you fo- see something that is a long way off? You're looking for it. You're longing for it. You're anticipating. It, 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 th- like I said, this is the key verse of the whole chapter. And, and who does the Father represent here? God Himself do you realize how surprising it is that Jesus, in front of these Pharisees and others who were accusing him, that Jesus would speak of God this way? Do you realize how, if I can say this on Easter Sunday, how irreverent this is? This father with with, with grown sons—boy, I feel this now that my children are grown. This is an older father now, with a long beard and a long he's, he's like. He's the the Lord of the manor, the Lord of the estate. So he would have had a long robe showing that he doesn't do the work. And then he's got sandals that you ever try to run in flip-flops? What do they do? Flip, 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 flip. And and, and here's this old man with beard and robe and sandals and he's running and he's huffing and he's puffing. And Jesus says, that's God? Yes. That is God. God, who humbles Himself in the form of the Son that He might come and run to and claim you and me. The poet put it this way. This is printed in your bulletin. The fatted calf, the robe, the shoes, the ring, all for Him, unworthy Son. Sweeter still, this more amazing thing. We see God run to see God himself. What did God do? He made the universe. He made the stars. He made the planets. He made the whales. He made everything. And to see God run. What an amazing thought that, that God is so loving. even th- That even though this man has been in the stench of pigs. In, in the church where I used to serve, we, we would sometimes have session meetings at the church, but sometimes we would rotate around to different elders' houses, because elders need to show hospitality and all that. And one, one, there was one elder of mine that, that I hated going to his house. Not because of his house or his hospitality or his wife or anything like that, but because he literally lived next to a hog farm in East Tennessee. And you could smell it from miles away. I was like, Bill, can we meet somewhere else, please? But I had to go, and I hated even driving by it. And, and here is this man who has been wallowing in the stench of pigs. There is mud on him. There is filth on him. And God still runs to claim him. Again, you know in in this culture what it would be like to work around pigs, but, but understand in the Jewish culture, these animals were unclean to the worst degree and to associate them at all was to be... Unclean yourself to the worst degree. And yet the father, here's his son who's been wallowing around in pig slop. And the father runs to him to embrace him. I want to cry as I read the part just before that of where the prodigal... Re- rehearses his speech in preparation. He says, I'm gonna, I'll go and I'll rise and I'll say to my father, Father, I'm unworthy, but, but your servants are better fed. And so will you let me? He's got this whole speech worked, worked out before he has the courage to go and face his dad. And, and if you read that, do you feel with me the, the fear and the anxiety? Do you feel the shame? I have felt it so deeply. I have prepared speeches like this in my own head. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm, I'm so ashamed. But then look at what happens. He comes and the father runs to him and, and he starts his speech. But do you notice what happens? He gets a hug before he even gets halfway through his speech. He's only got the first part out and his father is calling a party for him. Prodigals. Wanderers. Sons and daughters, stop rehearsing your speech. Stop being afraid of what you have to be ashamed of. Come home. Come home to the embrace of your Father. There are some here who for even that word has been hard in your life. But God Himself says to you today, you, like a beloved son, can come home. And think of what that means for us today. We're here as a church. We're celebrating Easter. What would it mean for us to embrace people this morning who don't just have the bonnets and the hats and all those things, but but what would it mean if we began to embrace people who have the stench of pigs on them? God ran to meet them. Understand, the son was wrong. Nowhere in the text does it make any excuses for the son. But God claimed him and embraced him and called him his own son. Are we willing to do the same? To get their mud and their hurt on us? To to taste the salt and the tears they've cried? Friends, understand, again, I've, I've been a pastor for, for years. I believe in preaching. I believe that, in, that every word of this book is God's word, and it alone has the power to save. I believe in apologetics, in the reasonability of our faith, and the defensibility of our faith, and that the Christian worldview is the, is the only worldview that can really explain everything that we see around us. Those, that's where I've been, spent my entire career. But I also believe that a well-reasoned theological answer rarely ministers to the unbeliever or to the hurting person as deeply as simply being willing to be present with them in their questions and in their pain we have to listen to them. To listen to them, you have to be present with them to really listen. We have to show them that we care. And and in our willingness to enter into their brokenness, we have to be with them in their pain, even at times in their anger toward God. We We have to model a God who put His own Son on the cross that he could then run to sinners. What God is telling us in this parable is that it is in the shattered places with broken people that we are most near to the heart of Christ himself. Some of you here are old enough to remember the song Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Tree. We still do that with servicemen or overseas or or at war, and and we still, people who have loved ones are away, we still tie that yellow ribbon. Do you know the origin? Long before the song from the 70s, long before Tony Orlando had that hit song, there was a preacher named Charles Hodge who told a true story of a young man who got involved in a wild lifestyle and committed crimes and went to jail. And the hurt and the pain of that broke his his mom, his own mother. And she died in agony and heartbreak over him. And years later, there came time that he had served his sentence and he was due to be released. And he wrote a letter home. And he said, Dad, I have shamed you And I killed mom. But I'm being released and I would like to come home. And he said, I understand if you don't want to see me, if what I've done is too much. I understand. But I'm gonna be coming home on the train that comes near our house. And so would you and in the original it wasn't a yellow ribbon, in the original he said, Would you put a would you put a white flag out on the tree that's by the tracks by our farm? And as I get close, when I'll look in, and if if the flag isn't there, I'll I'll understand, and it's okay, and I'll just keep riding somewhere else. Can you feel his anxiety? After all that he'd done, after all that he'd caused, after so much time, and now he's riding on the train, and, and I imagine that probably in his nervousness, he probably told the seatmates around him so, so they knew what was going on. Can you feel the, the, the doubt and the fear as he gets closer and closer and the train is going down the tracks and, and he comes around the bend and, and the questions and the doubts with every clack of the tracks. And then according to Hodge, when they came around the bend, he looked and he didn't see a white flag on the tree. He saw 100 white flags all over that tree. The message of a father saying, Yes, what you did was wrong. But come home, child. Come home, son. Come home to the father. My friends, that is exactly what our Lord God has done for us. Here is a flag in this parable. And if you missed that, here's another one and another one. Each of them saying, no matter what has happened, come home, my child. And if you missed that, he didn't just put a white flag on a tree. He put his son on a tree so that we could not mistake the message that the child who was lost is loved. And that child is you. And God claims you. And he calls you even now. Yes, you have been wrong in so many ways. There are things that, is not, that are not right that is true. But come home, my child. For Jesus' sake, because he loves you, come home through Christ. That is the love that claims you in the gospel. That is the love we celebrate at Easter so the promise comes to you. Fatted calf, shoes, robe, ring, all for me, unworthy son. Greater still this amazing thing. God comes to meet me and I see God run. Pray with me. Father, would you... Let us see Jesus today. Teach us the lessons of grace deeply and well. Teach us the lessons of the cross. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we ask for this in his name. Amen.